Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Before we dive into this episode, I need to tell you about the newest Skin Grip launch. I don't usually brag about products that much, but when there are genuine companies out there making life with diabetes easier, I really do think that everybody should know about them. Skin Grip just launched their newest Skin Grip Mats collection for the Dexcom G Sits and Freestyle Libre. Not only is this a smaller in size, high performance, and non-frightening option, but let me tell you, it works. I was lucky enough to be able to try them out, and first of all, this thing did not even lift. And the more impressive thing is that I was wearing my Dexcom on my leg at this time. And we all know that that is not always possible. What I really loved about it was that it's really discreet, which I really appreciated. As much as I'm comfortable showing off my diabetes, sometimes I just want my devices to lay low. This new collection is all about Matt's performance, Matt's protection, and Matt's comfort. You can try them out for yourself at skingrip.com using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, to save. Now let's dive into the episode. Okay, welcome to an- another episode of Keep 100 Radio. Today on the podcast, we have Lemma Brown. Lemma is a registered dietitian, um, nutritionist, and fellow person with diabetes. She is passionate about working with clients who have prediabetes or diabetes and who are seeking to improve their blood sugar management through a flexible nutrition-based approach. Her own experiences living with type 1 diabetes gives her a unique understanding when working with her clients. Some fun facts about Lemma are that she was diagnosed with diabetes when she was 19. She has a fraternal twin sister, and her favorite food combination is peanut butter and chocolate. If you can't tell, I went heavy into your website, so don't mind me. (laughs) But welcome to the show, Lemma. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about yourself and, yeah, just a little bit more about you? Sure. Just a little bit more about me other than the fact that I have type 1 diabetes is I am a mom. I have two little kids. I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old, and I feel like that journey, preparing for pregnancy, has really um, prompted me to really focus more on the um, pregnancy pregnancy part of or preparation for pregnancy and postpartum part of having type 1 diabetes. Other things about me, I live in Virginia. I love to be outside, especially right now because the fall, the fall leaves and the temperature is just is so nice. Um, what else? Yeah, I have a twin sister. Um, most of my family lives in West Virginia and Virginia, which is nice. It's pretty convenient. I'm from West Virginia originally. Um, that's just a little bit about me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a question because you have a fraternal sister, like you mentioned. Were you ever, <laughs> did you ever think that maybe you would have twins? Yes. Oh my gosh. So both ultrasounds with my kids. I was like, my husband and I were both like sitting there like, oh my gosh, what if it's twins? We even said it out loud. We're like, oh good. It's only one baby because I really, it's cool as it is to have a twin. It's really cool. I didn't really want to have twins because I imagine it's so much work. (laughs) And It's like one baby is already enough work. So let's just double it. So I did think I might have twins one of these two pregnancies, but I didn't. And I was, I was happy about it. (laughs) I always get that from my family too. I'm not a twin, but my mom is a twin. My dad is a twin. My cousins are twins and my fiance's aunts are twins. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We a lot were, of twins. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm okay. We'll, we'll pass that one off. Um, but just had to ask that one. <laughs> but, yes. Oh my gosh. 
You were diagnosed when you were 19, which is actually exactly the age that I was diagnosed as well. When when is your anniversary? I have to ask. My anniversary, I don't, you know, I think I don't remember the specific day because it was definitely a really stressful day, but I know it was around Valentine's Day. So I kind of count Valentine's Day as my anniversary. No way. I was February 17th. Oh, wow. Yep. So we were so close. Yep. I remember literally Valentine's Day, I was sitting like eating chocolate and like, why am I really craving chocolate? That's so funny. Yes. Wow. I remember thinking that too. I wanted all of the sweets and then sure enough, I figured out why. It's that time of year, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Well, can you, do you mind sharing a little bit more about your uh, diabetes journey, that diagnosis transition? Um, Yes, everything. Sure. Yes. I was a freshman in college and I was living away from home. So I had some good friends. My sister was actually went to the same school as me. I had people checking in on me, but I, I was just slowly getting really sick, especially over my second trimester, my second trimester, my second semester of college. And I was diagnosed with hypo, uh, not hypothyroidism. I think I was diagnosed with hyperthyroidism at some point during my college, my first year of college. And I knew there was something else wrong because I was getting treated for that and I wasn't feeling better. And I went back for a second opinion with, um, actually went to the ER because I just was feeling so bad. And I was like, something else is up. And I, I just can't figure out what it is. I was drinking so much water. I was craving sweets, but they seemed to be making me sick. Um, I was so, I had so much like lack of energy. I couldn't stay awake in class. I was like, obviously there's something wrong with me. And I went to the emergency department and they totally wrote me off and just said like, oh, it's just your thyroid disease. You'll, you'll just respond to treatment eventually. And I was like, listen, I know I'm sick. I know there's something wrong with me. So a week later, I got a second opinion from an endocrinologist, another endocrinologist, and they finally figured out that I had type one diabetes because I was so sick. So it was really a stressful time. And I felt like I was pushed aside because I was older too, because Mm -hmm. at that time, type one diabetes was still seen as a children's disease. And I was not a child. And people kept saying that to me in offices. I can't believe you have diabetes. You're so old. I was like, yeah, 19 is, I'm so old. (laughs) I'm still a teenager. So I, I definitely felt like I wasn't heard. And I was so happy someone took the time to dig a little deeper because I honestly, I was so sick. I don't know what would have happened if, if someone hadn't like checked in a little bit, a little when they did basically. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar experience. I mean, I was really lucky that when I kind of called the, I had called the overnight nurse and as soon as I read my symptoms, said like, come in tomorrow morning. And like, I went to Penn state, like that's a big school. You had to wait like at least a week for an appointment. Usually the fact that they said, come in tomorrow morning without an appointment. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is serious. But kind of the same sense in that, like, I felt like the only things that were recognized about diabetes were A, juvenile diabetes, quote unquote, or B, type two with the general misconceptions. And so like when I brought to my parents, I'm like, hey, I think I have diabetes. Who's like, I'm researching this and it came up on Google. They're like, no way. Like these, you know, you don't fit in either of these categories. I'm like, I don't know if it really works that way. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was still at that time, I think it was starting, we're starting to learn a little bit more about it. Like mm-hmm. it can actually affect anyone at any age. Yep. So at that point, you were a freshman in college. Were you already going to like in your mind, did you want to be a registered dietitian or was that did that come with the diagnosis? It definitely came with the diagnosis. I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. I was thinking about going into teaching because my mom was a teacher for over 30 years. I'd always thought about going into nursing. 
but I wasn't sure if nursing was the right path. And after I was diagnosed, I was undeclared before that I didn't have a major. I was thinking about a few things. And after I was diagnosed, I feel like I saw the dietitian all the time, the dietitian and the diabetes educator. I feel like I saw her all the time. I felt like she had the tools that I really needed to sort of survive every day. It's like, sure, the nurse can teach me how to take medicine, but I really have to figure out the best way to eat for myself. And the dietitian seems to have all of the information for that. So I can get through the day um, and survive each day essentially. So I found her to be so helpful and it really, it motivated me to go into nutrition. I was like, this is, this information is so helpful for me. And it might be more if I become this professional and then share with someone else coming from someone who has this disease, because that's so rare Mm -hmm. um, in healthcare. Someone's always educating you who doesn't live with something. And and sometimes it can feel a little bit easier coming from someone who deals with them themselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's so many of those. I had that those experiences of going to see your endocrinologist or your registered dietitian. And it's kind of like those blanket, those blankets, blanket systems. Blanket statements um, of, you know, oh, just eat these amount of carbs, keep your blood sugars between this range. And you're like, okay, well, I'm living with it. And it feels a lot harder than that. So what gives? Um, But so I'm really glad that you have to be that resource for other people and, and kind of give them that empowered experience, at least from what I see of what you share online. Yeah, absolutely. I try to. <laughs> so you mostly support people living with diabetes through pregnancy or preparing for pregnancy, correct? Correct. Yes. So what makes uh, diabetes, like what makes that overall experience more difficult when expecting or preparing to expect? It's more difficult because it feels like um, management just becomes much more See, uh, not the management is never like not serious, but with pregnancy, because the idea is to be connected to someone else in your body, maybe we feel a little bit more s- strongly or a little more, um, it, it can feel a little bit different than us just managing ourselves. And also the management for pregnancy is quite a bit tighter. The recommendations become tighter. Um, it, we've then fall into a category during pregnancy called a high risk pregnancy. There, there seems to be some extra stressors going on, not only with management, but being classified as a high risk pregnancy, which means what could things go wrong during this pregnancy? So it's, it's definitely much, much different from day to day management. I feel like it's much, sometimes feels like more heavy lifting, um, but other times feels like smooth sailing. But I definitely think it's from my own experiences, I felt like oh my gosh, like, I, I don't know how to prepare for this. I don't know. I don't feel like there are any tools available to me. And I feel like I'm just working way harder than I need to, which is why I decided to maybe go into this, um, create sort of this niche because I felt like there must be other women who feel this way. Yeah. What was that narrative kind of explained to you as you were preparing for that, that journey? For me, when I, I asked my um, my OBGYN, I, I told her, I said, I want to prepare for pregnancy. I'm hoping to conceive within the next year. This was, I think, maybe almost five years ago now. I remember sitting in her office just at my annual visit. What do I need to do to prepare? And the only thing she told me was to make sure my A1C was at a particular number or within a particular range. But that was also, I was a little bit shocked, like, that's it. 
I mean, I don't, I don't think that's the only thing I need to do. And she's like, oh, I'm take a prenatal vitamin. I mean, take that. Okay. But I also, that number I had never achieved, she recommended um, to achieve an A1C of 6.5 or less. And I'd always been someone who'd had an A1C of about seven-ish or 7.5, but that's pretty much the range I, I stayed within for a long time. And I remember thinking, oh, well, how am I going to do that? And she didn't give me any solutions, really. She was like, oh, well, you know, just cut out carbs. And I was like, uh, I don't think that's going to help me. <laughs> and I've never succeeded with that before. And I also don't think that's going to work just as a dietitian. <laughs> I was just thinking of my dietitian brain. And that was it. She sent me on my way and she's like, come back when you're pregnant. And I was like, uh, I think I'm going to need more than that. <laughs> right. I need a lot more than that. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I've never experienced pregnancy, but just in the like, in the experience of talking to my endo about it or having those kind of narratives on me, like there's just been, there's just sort of that negative connotation. I feel like one being classified as high risk, which I understand the extra precautions that go into it, but that just has such a negative connotation in itself that can kind of seem really scary. And then also to your point, having those expectations of like, okay, A1C needs to be 6.5 or, or lower. You need to keep your blood sugars within this range, but no real direction on how to feasibly do that outside of restriction. To me, it just kind of seems like an uneven playing field a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a dietitian too, and someone who doesn't promote restriction, especially during pregnancy, what you run into, first of all, nutrition is your friend. You need to take in lots of nutrients to prepare your body for the rigors of pregnancy, which are many, but you never know when you do fall pregnant and, or you do conceive, you might be really sick. You might be nauseous. You might have food aversions and saying you can't eat certain foods might be the foods that you want to eat a hundred percent. You might want to eat a bowl of cereal. You might want to eat plain crackers because that might taste good to you in the moment. So are you saying don't eat that and eat nothing instead? Because you and your baby still need nutrition. You still need energy. Right. Just like anything, like you need fuel for your body and in, in this scenario, two of them. But um, when you were going into that journey, like you're like, okay, I'm not getting the support from my endocrinologist or maybe like, you know, scattered support. Where did you find those resources or did you just try, kind of figure it out for yourself? I definitely figured out for myself. I I also worked with a diabetes educator that I really I found to be really helpful. She she wasn't specific for pregnancy, but she was really helpful in sort of breaking down some of my barriers and helping me sort of figure out my management a little bit better. So that was nice. And I'm glad that I reinvested in that time because for a long time, I was like, I, I just thought, oh, I know everything, but we can always learn new things. So that was really helpful. But I did, I did do a lot on my own. And something that I've talked about quite a bit is what I did was I found that the internet wasn't exactly a helpful place to find information because it only painted the picture of negative things. You know, this this potentially could happen to your preg pregnancy or, you know, this might happen that you should be concerned about this. But I found many blogs that, that had women who had been through pregnancy with type one diabetes and they shared their journey. And it really helped me see, okay, there are other women out there who have done this before and done it successfully. So why can't I? So then it kind of started this like positive talk with myself, like other people have done this, lots of people, actually, it's going to be okay. It's not just, you know, bad things happening to people. That's actually kind of rare compared to what I've seen. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I've heard, there's not a lot of research on type one diabetic pregnancies, to my knowledge. So it's like, where is this information necessarily coming from? <laughs> 
Yes, you're right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of research on gestational diabetes, Mm -hmm. not a lot of research on type one specifically that is changing. There is a little bit more research all the time available, but it's really small studies from what Mm -hmm. I can see. So a lot of what, what we're using for all women who have diabetes is just coming from women with gestational diabetes, which is very similar, but very different. Can you, for maybe anybody listening who isn't quite sure the difference between the two, can you kind of explain that? Sure. Gestational diabetes is, um, that comes from, um, women typically who have gestational diabetes don't have diabetes before becoming pregnant. Actually, my sister had gestational diabetes, which was really interesting for us to connect when she was pregnant, uh, dealing with diabetes during her pregnancy, but the rigors of pregnancy, typically gestational diabetes, I think it occurs around, it's tested, I think around week 32 or maybe closer to the third trimester, which I think is week 28. And women are often tested for this by drinking a sugary, a sugary liquid to see how their blood sugar reacts to it. And if they have a certain reading after drinking the sugary liquid, it it classifies them in a gestational diabetes category, which means they have gestational, sorry, they have diabetes during pregnancy. And that occurs because pregnancy is really difficult on all of our bodies and insulin just doesn't work as effectively. Um, So that's why that typically occurs. Insulin's not working as well because of the rigors of pregnancy, because um, pregnancy hormones are working hard and producing (laughs) in a large amount. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work well with insulin. So women who fall into the gestational diabetes category, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to take medication, but they might need to monitor their blood sugar a little bit more closely during pregnancy and potentially, um, potentially change the way they're eating, or maybe just uh, monitor the way they're eating a little bit differently, but maybe not. Very interesting. Yeah. It's, that's really interesting that your sister had it during pregnancy and then you're like, I've been living with it. (laughs) Exactly. It was really interesting. I was like, I would, I'd love to talk to you. It's actually, I told her when we went out to dinner when she was pregnant and I was like, you know, I'm really not to say this in a bad way, but I'm kind of enjoying that we now can share this because now you can sort of see a little bit of what it's like every day. She's probably like, I'm not. Yeah, she's like, I'm not into it. Yeah, this, this <laughs> like, is too much. I, I do see it, but I'm, I hopefully when my baby's born, I don't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to support her through that? Like, did she come to you a lot? Yes, I was. I, I felt like she asked me a ton of questions and hopefully I was supportive of her. I, I think I was. She definitely came to me a lot and we discussed food a lot and um, lots of things to try to help keep her blood sugars were great during pregnancy. I was really proud of her. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, kind of like we mentioned there, it's this big kind of connotation around diabetes and pregnancy and just how, to, don't get me wrong, I'm sure it's very, very difficult, but I think that precursor to it kind of adds the stress to the process and the lack of information or support doesn't necessarily help the the journey. Um, so in your experience, like just from the information end versus the lived experience and supporting other people through it, do you mind if we talk about kind of those biggest kind of myths or um, like beliefs that aren't necessarily accurately portrayed or, you know, not necessarily true. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear kind of from your perspective what those, I mean, it's probably easy for me to say (laughs) I've never been pregnant, but yeah, just from your perspective, what those uh, kind of look like. Yeah, absolutely. I wrote down a few Mm -hmm. um, to maybe go off of. If there's more, we can talk about more. I think one of the top myths 
that I certainly hear about with my own clients and just, just, I feel like out there in the internet world is that if you have diabetes, um, type one or any type of diabetes during pregnancy, you're going to have a large baby. Your baby's going to be large. Have you heard that before? I have. And I mean, I'm five foot two, 109 pounds. So that was a little, that's a little scary to me to think about. <laughs> yes. And it, it is for many women because they might, they might think, well, what does that mean? Like what's a large baby? Typically, I think most um, healthcare providers classify a large baby as a baby who that's greater than eight pounds, 13 ounces. But to be perfectly honest, babies come in all shapes and sizes. And just just because women have large babies doesn't necessarily mean baby is unhealthy. And also what I, what I've seen in the women I work with, it's also maybe diabetes. That's not the only factor that's causing the baby to be large. This many women might be large people themselves or if their spouse or partner might be large. So baby might be large, totally independent of type one diabetes, but this is really common. I think, I think it's kind of an old school way of thinking. I think and, I, and I've learned this from other providers that I think when um, when we were kind of taking, maybe taking down information about women with type 1 diabetes, they did have larger babies, but also the blood sugar ranges and the um, recommendations for women with type 1 diabetes long, further in the, in the past was, I think, quite, quite loose and maybe potentially babies could have been a little bit larger from this, but these younger providers are coming in, maybe still having those thoughts mm -hmm. that, okay, type one pregnancy, baby's going to be larger. We might need to go ahead and plan for a C-section. And I didn't hear this, but I've heard this um, mm -hmm. before. Like we should just go ahead and plan for this because this is absolutely going to happen. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's absolutely going to happen. There's so many factors that need to, that will have to line up and go into this. And just because you have type one diabetes doesn't mean your baby is going to be a specific size. And like I said, it could be totally independent. Your baby could just be big anyway. Right. Genetics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, just like anything else, right? There's so many factors to everything. Like my blood sugar can be high, but that doesn't mean that I ate too much of something. There's a million other things that can contribute to that high blood sugar. Maybe a little Absolutely. different, you know, scenarios there. But um, do you find that that's something that a lot of women that come to you are fearful of or nervous about? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think... I think we're often fed this information and we don't realize it. I, when I, gosh, I was maybe in graduate school and I had a dietitian mentor who was also a diabetes educator. She just happened because I, I don't know, sometimes people just want to ask you about your personal life. And she was asking me if I was playing for kids in the future. She knew I had diabetes and she, I said, yes, maybe eventually I hadn't really thought about it. I was really young at the time. And she's like, oh, we'll just plan for your baby to be big. <laughs> And I thought that doesn't make sense. Why? Why would my baby be big? But I think that's just, it's just the thought that's been carried down from, I don't know, several healthcare settings, maybe mentors to mentees, but it, it really doesn't bear any truth. Yeah. Man, people are quick to give unsolicited uh, advice yes. or. <laughs> yes. I carried that with me. I was yeah. like, what? Right. That's okay. And then I, both my kids were seven pounds. I was like, both were not large. <laughs> like, They're good. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's really funny. Um, what would you say is the second biggest myth? 
Well, gosh, second biggest myth. I do think women expect that they'll have complicated pregnancies. They'll have complicated pregnancies. They might, they expect that they'll have preeclampsia. They'll expect that they have to deliver early. They might need a C-section because of complications. And I think that's often something women feel really nervous about. I have diabetes, therefore I'll have complications. And again, just like the large baby statement, just because you have diabetes doesn't mean your pregnancy doesn't have to go smooth. You know, it can go, it can probably be just as smooth, if not smoother than someone who doesn't have type one diabetes. It's not an automatic. And just because we do have this health condition, it does put us in a high risk category, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a high risk, a high risk person. And these things are going to happen, but it's hard having that label. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. like going into it with that label, like I'm at Mm -hmm. higher risk for these things, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to happen. And sometimes um, something like preeclampsia or pregnancy induced hypertension or high blood pressure can exist. It doesn't matter if you have diabetes or not, it, it could still come about anyway. But I think we feel like because we have this condition, all of these things are going to, are going to come about in our pregnancy. And, and it makes sense. And I actually talked to, um, another provider recently and, and she said, well, in some ways it's good that you worry because it means like you're already a conscientious mom, you know, you're trying to do the best thing for you and your child. And I said, that's a really good point. It may be something to consider thinking about throughout your journey. Like, I, I worry about this because I care about it, mm-hmm. but I do think that that's a myth that we think our pregnancies are going to be really complicated. And in fact, many of them are very smooth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I actually just got off of another podcast recording and we were just talking about that, um, kind of like that power of that extra, the power of and. So like I'm, I'm a person living and I have diabetes. And I think the same thing. It's like we can have diabetes. We have that extra layer on top of us or the extra title. And then you add the layer of of high risk, like that immediate extra title that we have to live with. And sometimes that gets really overwhelming in itself just to be categorized something for something that you live with. So I'm really glad that you're taking the approach of like, yes, it can happen, but it can happen without diabetes too. And either way, you're a good, like you're a good mom, like you're a good caretaker. Um, So I'm really glad that you're giving that narrative rather than kind of that fear-based narrative. Absolutely. I agree with you. I feel like especially the women I interact with on social media and the women I work with in my groups, they hear enough of the the fear tactics and the the fear mongering and the fear based messages. So I try my best. I feel like I've always been this way as a as a a, a, as a dietitian. I feel like people often want to talk with me and share more information with me because I come in as a friendly person. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I care about you and I care about what you're doing. I want you to feel comfortable. I, I want to provide you with helpful information. I don't want to, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or scared. Absolutely not. And I hate that. I hate that that's happening right. because it's not helpful. Yeah. I can only imagine, you know, just stepping into the endocrinologist's office now as, you know, a person living with diabetes, you're going through your reports, you're getting your A1C taken and you're kind of feeling judged for the everyday blood sugar numbers and adding that component of like, okay, now you're you're pregnant, you're you're caring for another human and having that extra layer of maybe like feeling like your judgment or like you're gonna be scolded or yelled at. And I, I just it can be a lot of pressure, I can imagine. It absolutely can. I've definitely lived through it. And I remember getting some some judgment from not even my provider. I think it was I think it was not even a nurse. I think it was someone, someone just like looking at, um, my NSTs like tests, just, just monitoring it. And, and she, it wasn't, it was a test that just wasn't going very smoothly. 
And it was okay because sometimes things don't go smoothly. Sometimes baby's asleep, you know, <laughs> and she was very quick to pass judgment on me. Like, well, what's, what's your blood sugar? You know, like, well, we need to make sure the doctor looks at this. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse wow. me. You don't know me. You don't know. You don't know my day to day. You don't know. Really? All you know is my name. Like mm-hmm. you don't even have my chart in front of you. Like, where are you coming with this? And it, it really hurt my feelings. So it's mm-hmm. like, I work really hard and I doing the best I can. I know that I am and I don't mm-hmm. appreciate the unsolicited, you know, judgment. Right. There's a lot of extra variables to that journey. So just for somebody to be assuming, oh, if your blood sugar is high, maybe you, you're not doing enough or you don't care or whatever narrative that they're telling, like that they're, they're probably told through other means through their experience. It, it's definitely unfair. Um, what would you say is that like, like one more, like that biggest myth that you're kind of, you were either told or that your, your clients are told about pregnancy and diabetes? I think many women expect expect at least that they're, um, not to say at least because it's definitely something that's scary, but they expect that their baby will be born with their blood sugar, um, be being low or maybe sort of out of whack or, or not balanced. Um, that's something that comes up a lot, I think. And maybe healthcare providers are sharing this to prepare, to prepare us, um, for the labor and delivery process. And it is potentially something that can happen and maybe they're preparing themselves. So they're ready to jump in and provide interventions if needed, if the baby needs some um, help, you know, bringing their blood sugar back up after they're born with having diabetes and certainly blood sugar can sway low or high, especially during labor because it's an athletic event and (laughs) it's really difficult. So blood sugar can do many different things potentially could cause baby's blood sugar um, to also when the baby is born, potentially their blood sugar could be low and it would need to be corrected, which isn't, doesn't, it isn't as scary as it sounds. It's usually giving the baby something like dextrose, which is what we would get if our blood sugar is low. Mm-hmm. But I think providers often bring it up in a way that could potentially be scary and, and potentially it, it definitely could be scary, um, especially after delivering your baby and maybe they have to be taken somewhere to get some sort of medical intervention. And this is something that, again, can occur if you have type 1 diabetes, but it doesn't occur every single time. Just as an, as an example, two examples, both of my babies had balanced blood sugar when they were born, had no issues after birth. But it's brought up in a way, I think, like I said, I don't know if the providers are preparing themselves or us or what, but mm-hmm. brought up like, well, this this will certainly happen. Um, and it is not something that happens every time. Certainly something to be aware of, but mm-hmm. babies can absolutely be born and their blood sugar be completely normal. Right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Like it's, there's a difference between being prepared for something and then it's expecting it because that's what you're told is definitely going to happen. Like that's the yes. scenario. Um, can you, you speak on, this is a little, I didn't put this in the, the notes actually, so I'm kind of free balling here. Um, but <laughs> the, so I did a lot of questions on like the experience like before, so that before when you're um, kind of preparing for pregnancy, getting your blood sugars in range below that kind of like marker where your endocrinologist wants them. Um, and then there's that during process, right? So I, I know that there's a lot of different insulin sensitivity shifts that are experience, you're, you may be experiencing. Um, and then there's that after of, and this is a huge loaded question. So Spark Notes, you know, is definitely welcome here. But then there's that after of postpartum when people are like kind of relearning their bodies and relearning how to navigate blood sugars after that. Can you kind of give us the yeah, the SparkNotes version of what people might be able to expect. Sure. Are you more interested in like what can happen after the baby's born? 
Um, yeah, just what people can expect in each of those kind of phases as they might be uh, if they've never experienced this before. Yeah, I think absolutely, especially postpartum, because during pregnancy, blood sugar can do different things based on the different trimester. And I'll give just like a brief overview to maybe like as a buildup. But often, not always, <laughs> not always, we're all different. Um, often during the first trimester, uh, people, women with type 1 diabetes might be dealing with low blood sugars more often than not, because insulin tends to be more sensitive during the first trimester, but not always, not always, but that seems to be fairly common. The second trimester blood sugar tends to balance out a bit more hormones are are not totally surging yet. Um, blood sugar seems to be a bit easier to manage a little bit more forgiving. Not everyone is just kind of a blueprint, like of what, what some people see. And then typically in the third trimester or Later in the second, third trimester, that's when insulin resistance might really kick in. And that means, like I was talking about with gestational diabetes, just as a natural, normal part of pregnancy, we tend to have a surge in pregnancy-related hormones. And like cortisol is one that is produced during pregnancy that we know, probably know quite a bit about that blocks insulin's action. And that is something that happens very normally in pregnancy with type one diabetes. So women often have to take quite a bit more insulin than maybe they're used to, especially the later part of their pregnancy. It's totally normal. I feel like I have to say that a million times because there's often judgment that comes with, I have to take more insulin. Therefore I'm doing a bad job. It's like, yeah. no, your body's just progressing in mm -hmm. pregnancy. And that's just a side effect yeah. is that you have to take more insulin. But when the baby comes out, Usually how it's recommended is that you need to remember or save your pre-pregnancy insulin settings if you use an insulin pump or your routine if you're using um, insulin or using insulin in, in shots and injections. But, you know, what I've noticed going through pregnancy twice is it's not often like that. The placenta is delivered. The placenta is out of your body but the hormones remain. So it's not often like, boom, I'm just back to normal hormones remain. And if you happen to be breastfeeding, bottle feeding, that can be really different, especially with hormones being produced or maybe starting to like dissipate a little bit. So I like that some providers do a really good job. And this is a great question to ask your provider. Like, what are your recommendations for me postpartum and maybe nudging them? Like, I don't know that I'll feel comfortable just putting in my pre-pregnancy settings. If you use a pump or my routine with injections, maybe there's like a buffer in between, because again, like I said, those hormones are still in your body, still working. So you might find that. And also you're not normal, you know, it's not, you're not pre-pregnancy normal. Your body's going through a lot of healing and just adjusting to having a new person that you're taking care of. So there might need to be a couple of options available to you as far as taking your medicine. Um, I found that to be really helpful for me in my pregnancy, sort of having like a couple of phases to work off of. And I would check in with my doctor frequently with changes and certainly, and I'll be honest, not a ton because I was busy, <laughs> you know, taking care of a new baby, but I think it's helpful to have that established care and an easy way to maybe message them or get a hold of them, especially if you're experiencing more lows than you would like or high blood sugar. So you can stay healthy and heal well postpartum because you certainly want that process to be as seamless as possible. It's kind of a messy time. I hope I answered your question, but it's definitely not like an easy plug in these numbers. You should be good to go. It's a little bit crazy. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really insightful because especially, I mean, just when you're living with diabetes without experiencing that, it's it's not like a plug and play. It's not just a simple equation that you can do. So I can only imagine after having all those hormonal shifts and, you know, it's especially like there's the whole lifestyle component that's then new, like you're taking care of a, a baby, like you're losing sleep, you're, you know, all these different things. So I think that's really, Absolutely. really insightful. Can you share a little bit about what how you support your clients through this process? Like what support that you offer that maybe you didn't get in your own journey? Sure. Gosh, what I try to do is honestly, when I run like each program I run, I try to think about like what else would be helpful because I because I didn't have this program when I was pregnant. So it was, it was fairly easy to construct like the bone, the bare bones version of it when I started because there was so much I wanted. But I try to with my clients, we we meet weekly and I also have in-between support as well, really for Q&A, for question and answer. Like, oh, I've, I've been to this appointment and my doctor mentioned this to me. What does this mean? Or do you think this is a good question to ask my doctor? Because um, asking questions with healthcare providers is tough. I, I'm kind of the same way. I Sometimes I feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it's nice to hash it out with someone else first or maybe have a more direct way of asking a question. Um, so that's something that we work on. Sometimes it's role playing, like uh, what's a better way to ask this? I really want to push for this. You know, I, I want to have a home birth or maybe something kind of alternative. I want to work it out. I also provide, um, helpful information, I think on nutrition and pregnancy that combines, like I said, I'm not a restrictive dietitian, so I want to keep all the foods on the table, all the foods on the plate, because I know how difficult pregnancy is with cravings with aversions with nausea and potential vomiting but also there's so much benefit to having lots of foods available because of pregnancy nutrients and i love using food pairing as my main method because not only is that helpful in getting lots of nutrients in your in your way of eating but it's really helpful in balancing blood sugar as well so we talk about that a lot and i try to give my my um, clients a helpful like written tool to take down questions to ask providers to bring questions to our calls. Um, I give them information on like what terms like they might hear in doctor's visits because terms were thrown around like, and I worked in healthcare, but I didn't know what my doctors were talking about half the time and then they were gone. (laughs) So I try to include terms and testing that might come up so they, my clients can be prepared for those terms. And instead of we're going to schedule this test, maybe, okay, I'm aware of this test can you explain to me what it is? Because it, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about it. I would like for you to run through it with me because I find, especially in the, the OB realm, it's, it's a very crowded setting and providers don't have like endocrinology too. They don't have a lot of time with their patients. So I think arming my, trying to arm my clients with questions and maybe working through some things ahead of time so they can really get to the, the meat of what they want to talk about with their pro- provider is really helpful. And my clients seem to be a lot more confident for their journey and I mean, I, from, ex- from my experience with my clients, the journey seems to be smoother too, because they're a bit more educated. They feel more confident. They just feel more comfortable going through it. Me, I was, I was a nervous wreck the whole time. I'm really kind of jealous of my clients <laughs> because they can really enjoy the journey because it is, it can be really fun and really nice. I mean, it, it should be enjoyable. Yeah. And I, f- I do find that the best support comes from thinking about what you wish that you had in that journey. Like same thing for my clients too. And like I built Keep 100 because I wish that's the support that I wish that I had when I was 19 or first diagnosed. Um, but same thing, like, I mean, you're the, you seem to be really the facilitator between 
like you're not having the conversations for them, but just like you said, like you're arming them with the information, uh, you're arming them with like the terminology and you're teaching them how can you be your best advocate while also giving them more knowledge and strategy on how to support themselves in their diabetes management. I think that's the most empowering thing is being able to say like, I know how to care for my own body. Like, yes, I'll reach out when I need the support from my endocrinologist, but I feel good, you know, moving forward. Um, so I think what you're doing is really powerful and really exciting. Um, if somebody is looking for more support or they want to find out more, where, where can they find you and connect with you? Sure. Well, they can find me on Instagram. My handle, I'm sure it's will be in the notes, but it's at type1diabetes.nutritionist. And I'm also on the internet. My website is lemmabrownnutrition.com. Thank you so much for coming on. This was really informational and I think really supportive to people going through this experience. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it.